Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Have you had uh, gifts unwrapped already this morning? Yeah, my kids, 7.30 this morning, right? And uh, it's been a circus at our house because Selah has figured out that she can rip the paper. And so we couldn't even put any gifts under the tree until last night because we tried it and she ripped four of them wide open, you know. And, and, uh, and then this morning, she just tends to think every gift's for her, you know. And the kids are excited about getting a new gift and here she comes grabbing it and just a lot of fun. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy this since it's my last go around with a, with a one-year-old, a two-year-old. Um, but it's been great. You know, I, I couldn't pass this season without sharing one story uh, from a, a kid's version of the nativity. I love reading these things. I love hearing these things. I haven't shared one uh, this season, but um, a little girl came home from Sunday school waving a paper from her mo- for her mother to see. And she said, look, mommy, the teacher says I drew the most unusual Christmas picture she ever saw. Her mother took one look and she had to agree with the teacher. And so hoping her, her, her daughter could explain her creation here, the mother asked, well, why are all these people riding in the back of an airplane? Well, mommy, that's the flight into Egypt, the little girl said. Accepting that, the mother asked another question, well, who's the real mean-looking man in the front flying the plane? And the daughter answered quickly and said, well, that's Pontius the pilot. Looking at the picture even more closely, the mother said, I see you have Mary and Joseph and the baby, but who is the large man sitting behind Mary? And the daughter says, well, can't you tell, beginning to shake her head in disappointment, that's round John Virgin. (laughs) I literally, I have heard so many of these kind of stories. I love the way our kids just take the stories and... um, and what comes out. I know I did that myself, misunderstanding stories for a while. But, you know, we've been uh, unwrapping the who of Christmas. And so check out this video. Hey, neighbor, you need a hand? I'm good, thanks. You got the star that'll guide Chris Kringle to your chimney. Good move, my man. Oh, uh, no, it's the uh, star, star of Bethlehem. Right, yeah, Bethlehem, North Pole. Same thing, right? Oh. Nope, uh, no, uh, 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 sorry. It's the, uh, the star that, you know, the Magi. Right, Magi. What is the Magi? I found something on the web about emojis. Check it uh, out. Uh, the Magi, the, uh, the the wise men who came to see the Messiah, the the, the Christ, the uh, Son of God.
Then he would grow up to become Santa. No, no, no. He's gonna grow up and he's gonna pay for the sins of the world. Guess that'd be a pretty hefty price tag, huh? Hmm. Yeah. That's why it's called Christmas. Christmas. Well, I wish you would have told me all this before I spent my Christmas bonus and all that junk over there. Thanks a lot. Merry Christmas. No, hey, I. So we've spent the season, four Sundays, really kind of looking at John's version of the Christmas story. Um, if Matthew and Luke are, are giving us the details that we like to sink our teeth into, that we like to know, like, you know, the who, uh, or the where, when, how, um, John's more interested in sharing with us the who. And, and coincidentally, after you answer the who, then the why. And so we've been looking at that. And John, John doesn't give any kind of earthly story. He doesn't give us, uh, he gives us the story of Christmas without ever mentioning Bethlehem or Mary or Joseph. Or, uh, and there's no end, mangers or shepherds or wise men. Um, he is really intent on helping us understand the, the heavenly view or heavenly perspective or answering the question for who is this one who came into our world. And we've noticed through these first 17 verses in John chapter 1 that uh, out of his explanation of who Jesus is, we have learned that there are some principles that we can learn from his version of what Jesus means, who he is. Things like the reality that as John portrays Jesus and introduces us to Jesus, it's the reality, the principle that God always comes through. And Christmas is a reminder of that principle, that God always comes through. We not only notice that, but we notice that God always knows what we need. Remember it said that he came into the world and the world didn't even notice him. In fact, he came to his own and his own rejected him. They didn't even want him. It didn't matter. He was undeterred by that because he knew exactly what we needed. He has always understood what we need far more than what we know or think we need. And Christmas reminds us that God is a God who always knows what we need. We also saw that God always gives us the best opportunity. Uh, God always will give us the best opportunity. And then last week, Ken spoke on the reality that God always gives the best gift. And that's wrapped up in this word, grace. It is the best gift. And so we want to finish up this morning, uh, uh, this Christmas series, just with one verse. And that's verse 18. As, as John finishes up his version, we want to just look at this last verse and realize that there's something else that we can, can see from what he's trying to tell us. And verse 18 goes, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, and he has made him known. And I want to I coin this week, and I know this is a little bit cliche, but you got to understand where I'm going with this, is God always gives the gift 
that keeps on giving. Now, that's kind of a cliche thing in our, in our culture, right? Uh, companies have capitalized on this little phrase, the gift that always keeps on giving. And that can be like, uh, they're talking about... Um, uh, a subscription to something. I know there's commercials uh, about, a, 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 you know, the gift that always keeps on giving a subscription. Or I, I, I've seen some pretty hilarious things about the gift that keeps on giving. It can be a very negative thing. But um, there is this idea out there of a gift that keeps on giving. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute. Have you ever received a gift that the moment you opened it, you knew that you were never going to use it, wear it, or display it anywhere. <laughs> Have you ever had that moment? Like you opened it up and you knew this is never being used. Yeah? Take a moment and share with somebody close to you that gift. Now, be careful because they might have given it to you. <laughs> Take a moment and share what one of those gifts were. Yeah, we probably all had those gifts. Um, maybe it was an aunt or a grandma who didn't know us that well, or I, I don't know. But if the flip side of that is we're always looking for a gift that has continual value, continual meaning, or, yeah, kind of this cliche idea of the gift that always keeps on giving. And I think that's what John is trying to finish his introduction, his Christmas version, so to speak, about Jesus. He is reminding us that this gift that you are to unwrap, this gift of Jesus Christ that you're to understand as he finishes and he's going to move on into Jesus' life and all this stuff and his teaching, he wants to remind us that Jesus truly is the gift that keeps on giving. And it's in three Three phrases in that verse. Three phrases in that verse. No one has seen God. He reminds them. Listen, we have lived in a dynamic where no one has ever seen God. Um, God is, uh, you know, he's going to say that later on in John chapter 6 and, and verse 46. He's going to reiterate the reality that no one has seen the Father. No one's ever seen God, right? The whole narrative through the Old Testament was God would, uh, in the garden, he would walk with Adam and Eve, but it was a presence and, and maybe it was a sense of light because God decided, as scripture shows us, that he chooses as a spirit, as an invisible spirit to present himself to mankind through this um, medium of light, and we see that repeatedly through the Old Testament. We get bits and pieces a little bit. In fact, Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. Remember, uh, after being on the mountain, the Ten Commandments, he, he just was like, I, I, I feel, I'm feeling it, Lord. Show me yourself. And the Lord said, you, can't, you couldn't handle what I'm going to portray to you. I'll give you a little bit and a piece. And that little bit, remember, Moses came down from the mountain and he was just radiant. He was shining with the 
the glory of God because he had just seen a little bit. And throughout, you know, he would appear as a pillar of fire at night, a pillar of fire, and, and all those things he would, and normally it was through this medium of light or presence, and no one had ever seen God. And John reminds them, and reminds us that, listen, God has, has always been someone that we have sensed. We've seen him work. We understand his creation, but we've never seen him. He reminds us of this reality. No one has seen God. You know, I think the innate within each one of us is this desire to be connected and to know our creator. Uh, Augustine would have said that we are, we are truly always restless until we find God. We never can ever just, we're just, because we want to know. We, that, that it's, 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 it's like this vacuum within us. And to know somebody well, you, you, you kind of, you want to see them, right? You want to get to know them. You want to, you want to, there's this whole dynamic of them revealing themselves to you and you revealing yourself to them, this kind of dynamic. And for so long, it was this, okay, we want to know who you are, God, but we're only getting bits and pieces. And you speak and you talk and you show us how you, how you but we really haven't been able to see you. And John reminds us that has been the reality. That was the reality that no one had ever seen God. But then he switches and he says, but Jesus, the one and only, who is, who is at the Father's side, so to speak. And he's reminding them, he's reminding us again that this one who became flesh and dwelt among us, truly is the one who has always been with God, who has been close to God, who actually what he says is God. And they've been in this dynamic relationship. In fact, this phrase is the same phrase that's used throughout the uh, New Testament even, that uh, who is at the Father's side. Is this, it's this aura of intimacy it's this uh this love this it's one of those words that just it's this close bond and he's reminding him listen i want to remind you of who jesus is i want to remind you of something no one's ever seen god but this guy who came into our world and became flesh and dwelt among us he has always been with god he, he knows the Father. You haven't seen God, but he has. He's been with him. In fact, he is him. And then he flips to this last phrase to me, which is the most crucial phrase of this whole verse and one of the most important parts of John's story. He says at the end of that verse that he has made him known. Now, this word known is the word we get the word exegesis from. It's, it's a word to, it's to tell a narrative or to narrate. John is saying, and yet this one who has been at the Father's side, you haven't seen God. 
You don't know. You just see bits and pieces. He spoke through prophets. He revealed himself in mysterious ways. He does things, but we're not really sure. We'd love to see him, but yet there's just something. He says, listen, this one who has become flesh and dwelt among you now is going to be the one to absolutely reveal and to narrate, to exegete, to show, display, whatever word you want to use there, to reveal who God is. And this morning, truly, what he is trying to reveal to us is that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh to be one of us, to be a gift of salvation, to obviously pay for the sins of mankind, but truly he has come to make the Father known. You've always said, I'm not sure about. Now, do you want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. You know, we make a lot of, uh, a lot of statements about Jesus. A lot of, um, well, let me just phrase it this way from what Kevin DeYoung would say. There's the Republican Jesus. This Jesus is against tax increases and activist judges. He's for family values and for printing money. There's the Democrat Jesus who's against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint. And, oh yeah, he's for printing money. The Republican Jesus is for owning firearms. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's therapist Jesus who helps us cope with, our li- with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee. Amen. I don't do that, but we love spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid and goes to film festivals. There's open-minded Jesus, who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as you are. There's touchdown Jesus who loves or who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. There's martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so we can feel sorry for him. There's gentle Jesus who is meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, and walks around barefoot wearing a shash while also looking very German. There's hippie Jesus, who teaches everyone to give peace a chance, imagines a world without religion, and helps us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus, who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars, and buy a boat. There's spirituality Jesus, who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine, and would rather have people out in nature, finding the good within, while listening to the ambiguously spiritual music. There's platitude Jesus, good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, and bad sermons, inspiring people to believe in themselves. There's revolutionary Jesus, who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and blame things on the system. There's guru Jesus, a wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your center. There's boyfriend Jesus who wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. There's good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. 
And then there's Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Not just another prophet, not just another rabbi, not just another wonder worker. He is the one that we've always been waiting for. The son of David, Abraham's chosen seed. The one to deliver us, which was the goal of the whole Mosaic law in the first place. He is Yahweh in the flesh. The one to establish God's rule and reign. The one to heal sick, give sight, give freedom, and proclaim good news to the poor. The Lamb of God who came away to take away the sins of the world. This Jesus was the creator come to the earth, the beginning of the new creation. He embodies the covenant, fulfilled the commandments. He reverses the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the Christ prefigured to Noah in the flood, the Christ promised to Abraham, the Christ prophesied through Balaam before the Moabites, the Christ guaranteed to Moses before he died, the Christ promised to David when he was a king, the Christ revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the Christ predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. This Christ is not a reflection of the current mood or the projection of our own desires. He is our Lord and he is God. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. And when he says that Jesus is the one who came to make the Father known, we see in Jesus Christ the one that we absolutely, absolutely need and want and hope for. It's like Hebrews, it says this way. Hebrews chapter one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, again, God spoke and we kind of got bits and pieces and prophets said this, but in the last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he has also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. We've always been looking. We've always wanted to see and yet the writer is sharing, listen, Do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know what he looks like, how he acts, what he thinks like? It's Jesus Christ. He is the exact, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And why I would remind you this morning that he is the gift that keeps on giving is because Jesus came for one express purpose and that is to establish a personal relationship with you and I. And that is not just a one-time gift. It is a gift that as you and I enter into relationship with him, it is a gift that he continues to make the Father known to us day by day, situation by situation, circumstance by circumstance. It's far beyond, oh wow, Jesus came and I have this gift of salvation and I unwrap it and I have it, I put it over here in a corner and I'm good to go with that gift. No, it's way beyond that. It's the gift of himself 
into our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us life and truth and grace and hope every day of our lives. He truly is the one who is making the Father known to us. Amen? Amen. Hey, you're still with me, all right. This is the gift that keeps on giving. I hate to use that phrase. I feel so cliche, but I couldn't think of anything better. It was just right. Because Christmas is far more than a moment in time. It is an experience for you and I to have every day of our lives. Through the power of his Holy Spirit, the reason he came. Father... Lord, as we've come in on this Christmas morning and, and we've already celebrated so much of the story and, and we've, we've once again thought about shepherds and wise men and mangers and stables and all those things. Father, I would just want us to leave with the same idea that John wanted his readers to leave with. The reality that this gift is a gift that literally is more than just a moment in time, but it's a gift that comes into our lives and affects every day of our lives. As you come in through the power of your Holy Spirit and you begin to re-energize, change, move, empower, direct our lives, and we become something that is, wow, I have found what I was created to, to experience, to live like through the power of this gift of Jesus Christ, the living Lord in my heart and life. And so, Lord, as we leave, as we celebrate, Lord, we can be thankful that beyond December 25th and December 28th and when the season's over, Lord, it's you who came are still the gift that impacts every day of our lives. You're the gift that keeps on giving. We thank you. We praise you. We pray these things in your wonderful, strong name. Amen.